available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions talking all things Pac-12 football. We got some big news. New commissioner we got to talk about. Interconference transfer rule, a couple more spring games coming up. We got questions. I'm excited, David. I know you just had a little vacation. I did. Uh, we're back now. You're back. We're back. It's tax day. Had a horrible time writing checks to the government. I hate that, but you know, here we are. Yeah, here we are in in uh, in fine fettle, in fine form. Um, I'll tell you, I haven't finished my taxes. It is <laughs> just taking everyone behind the curtain. We are recording this. At 5.41 p.m. on May 17th, Monday, tax deadline is midnight tonight, <laughs> and I have not <laughs> finished my taxes. I was in Montana this weekend. I played, played a game of touch football. Me and 13 guys in a bachelor party. The end result in terms of injuries for us 35 <laughs> to 40-year-old men was <clears throat> a torn hamstring, a pulled hamstring, two pulled groins. A broken elbow, a sprained wrist, a jammed thumb, and a possibly broken rib. Man. And and you were on the the, the receiving and the giving end of some of those. I was I was I, I'm on the receiving end of a pulled groin and a jammed thumb, and I was on the giving end of the possibly broken rib. Wow. Um, it was again, I, I, I need to remind the audience, a game of touch football. <laughs> Some some touches were heavier than others. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was, we talked offline. I went, went to Montana in January. It was the first time ever I've been there. So beautiful, and uh, now I'm watching Yellowstone. Did you you watch it? Did we talk about that? You got to watch it now because you went to watch it. You you will now. You go to you know. Yeah. Some, it's cool. I mean, Kevin Costner's great. I'm not a huge Costner guy. Some of the actors though are pretty bad in that, and there's some really good ones too. But uh, I'm in. I'm I like the show. So yeah. I'll say this as well. Um, if you so fly fishing, I was a little skeptical of it going into the experience. I'll be honest. Um, it's it's therapeutic. It is positively therapeutic. If I can recommend nothing else to get over the stresses of this awful year, go find a river, even one that doesn't have trout. Screw it. It doesn't really matter if you catch fish. Go do some fly fishing. It's incredible. Great wow. experience. Ten out of ten. I love fishing. I've never gone fly fishing. Um, so I want to try that. It's a little different skill set and stuff. Oh, but it's, I would very, it's, 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 um, it's highly skilled. Like it's very much, you have to be like kind of focused and paying attention, but you're doing the same rhythm just kind of over and over again. And then hyper focusing on this little thing, bobbing down the river and then casting again, hyper focusing on this thing, bobbing down the river, casting again, 
you completely lose track of time. You don't think about anything else because you're just focused on watching that thing bob and waiting for it to just dip a little bit. Because the way it works is you're not going to feel something grabbing a hook. You're feeling something grabbing the fly. And if it doesn't like what it tastes, it's going to immediately pop off. So you have to be focused on these like minute changes in the way that it's bobbing in the water. And then just immediately yank on your uh, rod to hook the fish. Ah, okay. Um, it's, it's, it's wild, man. Were you I caught, successful? I caught, one fish, I caught one fish in four hours. That, hey, dude, you successfully fly fished. Like, that's something. I successfully fly fished. Yeah. I think I think fish should have a different past tense. So I'm going to go with fished. Fished. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you fished for fly trout. Fished. Uh, was it catch and release? Did you guys like have a trout dinner? What was the? It doesn't have to be catch and release, but we caught and released. Okay. Uh, they, they would prefer you do, and we were going on a guided trip, so we did. Um, yeah. But we did eat trout um, for dinner, um, and it was delicious. Very nice. Uh, well, awesome. Glad you. Hopefully, you got the batteries recharged uh, a little bit. I'm actually going to be going somewhere this coming weekend in the Pac-12 footprint. Uh, so any of our listeners out in the Tucson area, Arizona, we got, we got some Arizona stuff to talk about a little bit later. Uh, yeah. Buddy's uh birthday party, a little golf weekend. And I never really got to oh. celebrate my 50th birthday, which was in December. So it's going to be sort of a little bit of that too. So a bunch of buddies going out and uh, golfing in Tucson. So it should be fun. That'll be great. Yeah. It should be nice and warm. Um, so yeah, hit me up, uh, tweet at me or whatever, all our Arizona peeps. If you're gonna be out there, we don't have, we don't have any, uh, probably any listeners in Montana. So, and you wouldn't want to talk to them anyway. No. no. Yeah. See, I would entertain guys, the Arizona guys at a bar or something. I'm, you know, they give me some recommendations where we should go. Um, but yeah, so this would be cool. So that's why we're doing it today. It's tough with the schedules are a little tough right now. So, uh, we're going to do it Monday night. We're trying to get you guys as many shows as possible. And uh, if you do want to contact us and, let us know what you want us to talk about. You can email us, pack12podcast at gmail.com, or call or text us at 424-532-0678. We got a few emails. We got a text, and we got a voicemail, so we got all of those to talk about. Uh, you can also tweet us at pack12podcast. The website is pack12podcast.com, where you can find all the old episodes. And go over to reddit.com slash r slash podcast of champions to discuss the podcast and other Pac-12 news with other Pac-12 fans over there. And uh, Apple Podcasts is where you can follow us and rate us. Get that little app on your phone or your iPad. I got an iPad now, too, so I can try that out. But follow us. Give us that five-star rating. That's what we crave. That's what we want. That's what we beg for each and every week here on the podcast. And if you give us five stars, you can write whatever you want. Erotic fan fiction about David. Trash us. Whatever you want to do, we will read it if it has five stars. And we've got three to read because they have five stars. Nice. This is from Paul Webfoot, uh, my favorite podcast. I don't know why. I don't know how. But the combination of Ryan sort of caring and David not caring creates a great show. They have great chemistry, don't take themselves too seriously, and don't let their respective allegiances to the L.A. schools bias them against the rest of the conference. In fact, they are probably more biased against their schools than the others. Add in funny commentary on whatever's happening in their lives and whatever crap the listeners ask them to talk about, and it all drains into the slough of a surprisingly great podcast. It's like bacon on top of a maple bar. It doesn't always seem appetizing. You're not sure why anyone ever tried to make it, and it probably is bad for your health, but after you have one, you want five more. Keep up the great work, and I hope you two never split up. With all the love in the world, Webfoot. 
Love That's it. That's so nice, Webfoot. That was really just pleasant and enjoyable. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you know, wasn't been the best day. Yeah, it made my day a little better. Thank you. Yeah, we love it. Uh, this is from E underscore Rod, California. Five stars. Uh, five stars. As a Pac-12 enthusiast from L.A. who is a diehard ASU devil and alum, I appreciate the show's candor when it comes to mainly Pac-12 football and sometimes U.S. politics. David, keep up with the great commentary on social democratic politics. Ryan is good, too, when he does his best to ensure his listeners that David hates all presidents on both sides of the aisle. Keep up the great work. <laughs> sometimes people get, you know, you're like, no, basically, he hates them all. So that's, yeah, you know, I, outside of Abraham uh, Lincoln, who he thinks is OK. He was fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Five stars. This is from Son of Ham on Rye. Oso por favor. I'm not a Cal Bear fan. I'm a Ute fan. But will you please play the Cal Bear sound when introducing them? It makes me laugh every time. Uh, well, ask and you shall receive. California Golden Bears. <laughs> nice. Beautiful. And that is it for the reviews today. Thank you, everyone. Very nice. Uh, thank you so much for the reviews. We do appreciate it. It does help uh, grow the show. Spread, spread the word. If you got Pac-12 friends out there, let them know about our little show. We'll keep it going throughout the off season. And uh, we're almost done with spring football. We'll talk about that, but we got some big, 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 big breaking news. We have to talk about it first. I had to remind David that we had this to talk about. So that's where, you know, he's got the vacation brain. So I go, yeah, no, it's, it's going to be bad. I'm going to be unfocused and weird, but I'm fresh. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. So we got the announcement, uh, and I forget who, I don't think it was Wilder. Actually, I think George Reister had it like 40 minutes before most people. And then people started tweeting about it. Um, but, uh, George Klavkov, uh, he is the new Pac-12 commissioner as of July 1st. So he is the president of MGM resorts international, lots of stuff in Vegas. Um, you know, he served, so he's president of entertainment and sports, the past two and a half years, and he's got a five-year contract starting in July. Uh, unanimous support from the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors. Um, so it was we got to get a media appearance with him on Thursday, uh, along with uh, Michael Schill, the president of uh, the Pac-12 CEO group and the president of the University of Oregon. They had you know the the presidents and chancellors from Oregon. Uh, Washington and Washington State, along with Colorado and USC, they it was just the Northwest schools, and they added Colorado and USC to get some more representation as far as picking uh, the commissioner. He gets picked. Uh, I really, I don't know if you got to see much of it, David. You're traveling, but um, I was really impressed with his press conference. Um, you know, not, I don't think it's difficult to win a press conference, but the way he attacked all of the criticisms, anything we been critical of the Pac-12 basically on this show, Twitter seems like he addressed it, you know, and I, I liked that he did that. It wasn't, and if he had a short, like if, if you asked him a question that he can't really answer right now, he was like, yeah, I can't answer that right now. He didn't like talk for five minutes just to explain why I can't answer it. Um, I liked his directness. I don't know. I was impressed. Maybe, you know, what, what did you think? I, what I took from it, I mean, I saw clips, I didn't see his full press conference, but what I took from it is that he seems, um, the vibe I always got from Larry Scott is um, arrogance, aloof, you know, just kind of above it all, even at the very beginning. Like, it just seemed like he came in with a, a huge head, you know, just very, um, I know I know what I'm doing. I know the best yeah. way. 
the vibe I got. And from, I'm smarter than all of you. <laughs> yeah, the vibe I got from Klav, or Klavkov. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher that a million times. Um, but the vibe I got from him is much more um, what you want in a leader of an organization. Um, just collaborative, um, wants to listen, wants to go on a listening tour. Um, who does that? Uh, but wants to, you know, really kind of, um, I think, learn um, from people who've been around a little bit. Um, and I think he just is approaching it with um, a little bit more humility than Larry Scott was, which I think is uh, the ideal approach um, for any leader going into an organization. So already he's checking the... Um, interpersonal boxes in a way that Larry never did. Um, yes. At the beginning, obviously, a lot of people liked Larry because of the ambition, you know, what he was trying to do. Everyone was on board with expand the Pac-12, do all that stuff. But even at the beginning, it was obvious his interpersonal skills weren't very good. Um, you know, he just kind of came off weird. Uh, this guy, I think he comes off well. Um, he comes off as, um, you know, somebody who's going to, you know, be a, a, a decent guy to work for and work with. Um, and he has to be in his current role. Like, it makes sense. Like, uh, you know, yeah. as the head of MGM Entertainment and Sports, he's working with everyone from artists and everything to, um, you know, it, it, media and all that kind of stuff. He's doing it all, so he has to be a good face of an operation already. Um, and I don't know how much of a demand that was for Larry Scott coming into the role. Um, and I thought, uh, I, I, I'm bad at remembering who tweets really good things, but somebody tweeted out, like, Yes. Okay. You could make an argument that the background is similar to what Larry Scott was, but that's that's misdiagnosing what Larry Scott's main issue was. It wasn't a lack of expertise in a lot of these areas that so you could make an argument about football. It was that he was just an interpersonal disaster and rubbed everyone wrong and wasn't just wasn't a good. He didn't create a good work environment. Um, I think that's going to be the case with Klyevkov, that he's going to do that. And frankly, I don't know, like who knows what's going to work out or not, but um, it seems like a good enough hire. Like I think they did a good enough job and now we'll wait and see. Um, and I think one immediate impact of this is there's going to be a change in where the, the fulcrum, the geographic fulcrum of the Pac-12 is. I, I think whatever they're going to say about it, the reality is much more is going to be centered around Vegas. Um, which makes a shitload more sense. Yeah. Um, you're not only going to have the the football games, you're not only going to have the Pac-12 tournament remain there for the foreseeable future, the headquarters might move there. Um, and I think that makes just so much more sense. Um, just as a as a purely geographical thing, it makes a ton of sense. It makes I, I think you you bring Colorado and Utah in a little bit more by having the location there, and it will save money. Um, which I think they desperately need to do. And I think they also need to get out of the idea that they need to be proximate to these Silicon Valley companies to yeah. tap into the, the potential of those companies. Yeah. Um, simply being in the West, simply being an entity that's willing to be flexible is what's going to allow you to tap into those companies. It's not geographic proximity. Um, so if they want to be distributed on Amazon or whatever, that's, that's just simply negotiating a deal and it doesn't matter if you're located in san francisco or new york it's just a matter of negotiating the deal um so it, you know it, it remains to be seen how he does on the tv contract and that's probably the number one thing that's going to matter for the commissioner but um i thought early on check some boxes for sure and he was asked about moving headquarters and he said you know we're i'm moving to he's moving to san francisco so he's definitely going there but 
Uh, the impression I got was, yeah, that's, I mean, this is dumb. We're not going to pay $7 million a year in rent or whatever the heck it is. Uh, he made some priorities clear at the top. Um, so three immediate priorities. So I'll get your thoughts on this. First, protect and support our student athletes. All right. So that's just something you have to say. That's like a disclaimer. Um, second, we will make decisions to optimize revenue for our member institutions, including renegotiating our media distribution deals, which makes a ton of sense. And third, we will do everything we can at the conference level to make our teams more competitive in revenue generating sports, especially football. So I love the fact that he's just like, Hey, by the way, everyone football matters. Um, so football, 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 football. So I, I yeah, like yeah. that part too. And I think, um, if, if, um, the th- first thing you said isn't as uh, isn't just shining it on, but actually delving into it. I think that's part of what could make th- number three better. Um, if they get really out and ahead on the, um, you know, how they're going to develop the name, image, and likeness stuff, um, that could prove more attractive for keeping some guys home Very good um, in, yeah. in, in recruiting. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- that all makes sense. Um, and I think, you know, there's some stuff the conference level can do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm big on it's the school's responsibility to be better at football, um, you know, whether in coach hiring, development, all that kind of stuff. But um, there is stuff at the conference level you can do. You can be very conscious of the scheduling, um, very, very conscious and spend a lot of time on it and make sure you are setting up situations that are advantageous for the league. Um, And that means not only making it so the conference schedule doesn't unnecessarily penalize the teams that are expected to be good. You don't want to just give them a cake road, but you don't want to unnecessarily penalize, say, I don't know, Washington, one of those years they were good, having to play on six days rest after traveling on a Friday night. Um, You know, that sort of stuff. Keep that kind of thing from happening with regularity to the teams that are supposed to be good. But it can also um, mean suggestions, heavily weighted suggestions on how you schedule your non-conference games. Um, You know, have part of your conference apparatus really devoted to that and figuring out, okay, here here are the relationships we want with different leagues. Here are the teams that we would like you to try to schedule and maybe even um, treat, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit briefly, I think last week, but um, the coronavirus period has taught us that you don't need 27 years to schedule a football game. Uh, maybe, <laughs> yeah. the pack, maybe the Pac-12 could be innovators there and start to look at, okay, can we do more real-time scheduling or at least um, less... Uh, less far in advance scheduling so that you can take advantage of the vagaries and strength of schedule that come from season to season dips and and surges and coaching changes and all that kind of stuff so that you're maybe scheduling more of the, um, you know, if it's a team that needs to build a resume for the college football playoff, you're scheduling more teams that are in that group of five level who are actually pretty good and could be, you know, boosts to that, um, that team's resume or, but whatever, you know what I mean? Like you can take advantage of those sorts of things and maybe the PAC 12 can be an innovator there. Um, But there are things at the conference level you can do that, that I think would, would benefit um, competitive balance. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that on top of just refereeing to make it an, making uh, to fixing the refs uh, to make it a more um, palatable experience. Yeah. Well, um, we're, we're going to talk about expansion. Uh, we got some questions. We can talk about that a little bit more, but he definitely says, um, 
He goes, to support all three of these priorities, I want to go on record that the Pac-12 is in favor of both the expansion of college football playoffs for teams and the implement, um, and implementation of co- consistent guidelines for name, image, and likeness. So you talked about the, the NIL stuff earlier, but he does like expansion. He actually mentioned um, that it could be in place as early as June. And uh, Dennis Dodd tweeted out that he wrote about that a couple weeks ago, and he said it was astounding to hear a commissioner say it out loud. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit, but unless you want to do it now, but there was one thing I liked, he talked about this. He was asked about what's the strengths and the weaknesses of the conference. And I thought this was a good quote. He said, the PAC 12's greatest strength is the member institutions and the student athletes. We have some of the greatest institutions, not just in the country, but in the world, the value of the PAC 12 education cannot be overstated. And we're going to make a big deal about making that very, very public, which is great. The, the important part is the weakness. And I can't imagine Larry Scott saying anything like this. He goes, if we're honest with ourselves, the weakness is the number of years it's been since we won a football or men's basketball championship. And we're going to do everything we can at the conference level to fix that. Like, didn't avoid it. Didn't, like, say, well, we're great at Olympic sports. He's like, we got to get better at football and basketball. And I, I just thought that was really refreshing. Totally refreshing. Um, and I think it's a perfect way of um, approaching the job. And I like that the strength wasn't, also wasn't, all of the Olympic sports victories. because and, it is, and I'm not trying to denigrate that as a strength, but that's a sign of him being a relatively savvy operator. Because that would have been the wrong note to strike with everyone in the Pac-12 footprint who's yeah. actually giving a shit about this whole thing because yeah. they would have said, oh, my God, it's the same jokey crap where there's going to be women's rowing um, on the stage at uh, the Pac-12 Media Day or it's going to be volleyball on the stage at Pac-12 Media Day. Um, nobody cares about that. I mean, the people who play it care about it, but nobody cares about it on like a viewership level. So I'm glad that his strength was something that truly is the strength. It's not on the field. But it truly is a strength, and it's something that can and should be marketed constantly, which is that um, the, uh, I don't know, three of the very best public institutions in the country um, are in the Pac-12. The very best private school uh, in Stanford is in the Pac-12. And then you've got um, world-class research institutions, all of them, um, all in the Pac-12. I mean, it's it truly is something where to the right kind of... uh, and not even the right kind of recruit, the, the recruits families to people who understand, um, who are involved in this, who understand their kids are maybe not going pro. Um, you walk out with, I mean, you even walk out with, I, I'm, uh, this isn't me being a, it's not me being a jerk. Okay. I'm sorry. But you even walk out with an ASU degree. You've got an ASU degree. Like that's a real thing. It's not, you know, you've got a degree from man, Mississippi state. Like you've got a real degree. Um, and I think that's, um, something valuable that you can, can, and absolutely should pitch at the conference level. Yeah, no, I, I like it. I like, you're right. It was a smart strength, but very honest with the weakness. And he was also asked about the future of the PAC 12 network. And he's a lot to say, but I'll give you one quote that I liked. Um, and again, honest here today, the PAC 12 network has far fewer subscribers than any other comparable network, and we have to fix that. I think there's a way to fix that through structuring and relationships, but we have to get the Pac-12 network distributed every place on every platform that our fans want to be able to consume that content. Boom. Like, not, well, we show more live events than everyone, and, you know, like, 
stop just saying what you what is nice about the Pac-12 network. Say what's wrong. That's what's wrong. That I'm yeah. in LA and I don't get it. Like that's wrong. So um, I've had multiple providers in Los Angeles and none of them had it. You know, Sling I had for a little while had it and that's it. That's and, that's and, terrible. And the one thing I would say is it's easy for a guy coming in to critique the last person's decisions and and um, the the failures he sees coming in. It's going to be interesting as he goes on and he makes missteps because they'll surely come. It, does he approach it with the same defensive attitude that Larry Scott did? Because that's what it is. It's all defensiveness. You know, oh, I'm going to I'm going to spin this because I don't want to look bad for doing this Pac-12 network. So I'm going to talk about all these live events. Um, will he be the same way if, you know, something he does doesn't uh, go the way he wants it to? And, you know, judging off what I saw, I don't think so. Like, he, he seems like he's a different personality type. Um, but that's stuff we'll see down the road. He's certainly saying all the right things right now. Yeah, and I would say I didn't feel like he's throwing Larry Scott under the bus. He's just looking, frankly, at this, his situation. And I, and I felt like it was – he was – um, it wasn't like that's the the previous administration. That's not my fault. That it's like these are my problems. Like these are our problems. Um, not that Larry did that. We'll do what we can. It was like walking into a thing. Like I have this problem. It's like you know, you know, you walk in. Like now I have cancer. I'm gonna fix it. Like not cancer's you know my neighbor's fault or something. It, I, I just felt like he was taking responsibility and just like yep, these are the problems and we gotta fix them. Yep. Um, yeah, so that was kind of the notes I had. Um, but you know, we'll see how that goes. I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm not always the most optimistic person about some of this stuff, but you know, I was like, eh, I like that guy. So we'll see. Maybe we'll get him on the show. Larry would never come on. I'll, I'll, I'll see what we can do. We can try to get him. Yeah, out let's get him. Uh, I would love that. I think he did a, I, I, I haven't even looked at, he did some interviews. I know he did Kanzano. Um, I probably talked to, I don't know, like, uh, but I'll check it out and see, see if he, uh, maybe he'll come on. Yep. Uh, there was also some news that came out today on Monday. So the Pac-12 CEO group approved the elimination of interconference transfer rule. And they also increased student athlete involvement in conference governance. So that's the SALT, which is, uh, what is that? The, um, what's SALT stand for? I forget. Some kind of student athlete. Blah blah, you know, some kind of government thing. So they're going to have more student athlete leadership team. Student, okay, yeah, twelve additional representatives, one from each uh, institution, will be on that. So that's nice. What I mean, but the the big one is the interconference transfer rule. So it was unanimous. They are going to eliminate that. And uh, I think uh, John Wilner tweeted out, "This is going." So basically you can't block someone from transferring. You would have to sit out a year if you transfer within the conference. That was the conference rule. Um, now you can't do that anymore. That rule is gone. So uh, Jason Harris, the outside linebacker from Colorado, and uh, Ethan Garbers, the uh, quarterback from Washington. Harris transferred to Arizona. Garbers to UCLA. I think Colorado was blocking the church. I don't know for sure, but for I know Bro reported that Garbers, you know, Washington was tr blocking that transfer. Doesn't matter anymore. So uh, both Harris and Garbers should be able to play for Arizona and UCLA, respectively, right away. Yep. Uh, was there what was the run? What were you hearing about Garbers since you cover UCLA? Uh, that they were blocking it. Okay. <laughs> so that, so I basically got it right. There was no you know no insight or anything or. 
Yeah, no, they were blocking him. Uh, so apparently UW, uh, the NLI with UW required a full year of residence, and he fell just short. Um, but I don't, I don't know if that's going to be actually superseding the issue. Um, but that was what it was with Garbers, um, was this NLI. Technically, I think a separate issue with the NLI. I don't know. But they were blocking him. They can release him. I, I think this may take care of it, but I'm not sure yet. Okay. I thought it should, but I don't know. We'll see. But they had no more. So you could transfer in the conference. Um, you know, the transfer portal is obviously a hot topic. Now you don't have to leave if you want to play right away. So uh, good for the conference for doing that uh, and adding some leadership to that salt stuff. So that's cool. And then I, I last week we talked about the spring, couple of spring games. Um, just so you know, I, I forgot that Stanford still hasn't had their spring game either. They started later as well. So, Coming up, you still have Stanford and UCLA in spring practice. Stanford's spring game is May 22nd, and UCLA's is May 27th. So I believe that's it. I believe that's everyone else is done. But uh, my mistake last week for forgetting to mention that Stanford was still doing their spring football practice. I know you care about that deeply, David. Oh, their their three fans must have been up in arms. (laughs) I don't think I don't think we got an email about that, but sometimes if I say something like that, uh, they'll call us out. All right. Any other newsy stuff before we jump into questions, Dave? I got nothing. All right. Let's uh, take a quick break. Come back and answer questions. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back here on the podcast of champions. Um, before we get into the questions, we did get an email from Derek. Um, and he was the one that uh, proposed a new drop for the Wildcats. You know, they're on the 12-game losing streak. He said, I might as well take uh, responsibility. So he whipped something up on Audacity. He has two versions of it. One of them is a meow from when you were uh, talking on when you did it on the podcast, David. Um, and then the other one is one that grabbed, uh, from YouTube. So he sent this, I think he sent, well, he sent this back in April apparently. And I don't think we saw it. 
um, well, that was April 9th, but then he like resent it or something. It got I, maybe you moved it into our inbox. It was like in the spam. Yeah, or something. Derek's for whatever reason falls into our spam a lot. I don't know why, but okay, uh, yeah. Um, all right, so let me. So this is the original Arizona drop. Arizona Wildcats. Wow. All right, and then these are the two uh, he sent in. I believe this is the David one. Arizona Wildcats. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm laughing at it. So that makes it a little tougher to use because you hear my laugh more than your meow. Um, and then this is the YouTube one. Arizona Wildcat. <laughs> so I don't know. What do you think? Which I'll play. So I, would, I, would, I would say they're not clean audio. Right. Which is one problem. So yeah. they're clearly we, we got to find the guy who made the original ones and see if we can tell him to do this. Because he yeah. had the actual background noises that he was using, like the background music. Because um, you might, I think you need that to overlay the kitty sound. Yeah. Um, yes, that would be uh, that would be great to do that. My yeah, preference you... there is obviously mine. <laughs> With my laughing in it. Yes. All right. Well, we'll keep him at the board to, for now, and then we'll see what uh, you know uh, what comes of it. Uh, we also have. A voicemail. Uh, do you want me to play it for you? Let's do it. Here we go. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Perk. Um, I just had a question for you guys. Uh, a few uh, a few years back during the, uh, I want to say the head coaching search of the NFL, Mike Florio talked about how the NFL, at least the trend is going towards uh, hiring offensive coaches just because um, you know, having a defensive head coach um, you know, kind of runs the risk of constantly losing a, a good offensive coordinator. Um, you kind of mentioned how the Falcons never recovered after they lost uh, Kyle Shanahan to the 49ers. And I was wondering if you guys feel the same way about college football, if you feel that it's really good or, or kind of a primary target, target for programs to have an offensive-minded head coach. Um, just because, in, in my mind, the only coach that I can really think of that either comes from a you know, defensive background or really isn't known has an offensive line that constantly has success um, is Nick Saban because he seems to to be you know have produced title winning teams no matter who's the offensive coordinator. But other than that, I really can't think of a dominant defensive coach right now. I'm sure I'm missing somebody, but I was wondering if you guys feel college football is going the same way where you really want to have an offensive mind, uh, offensive minded head coach. Thanks, guys. Um, I'll jump in first, Dave, if you want. Uh, sure. Perk, um, I, I don't think I don't buy, got buy into like here's the recipe for success. Get an offensive coach, get a defensive coach, run this system. It's to me, it's more about the people because you could say outside of Nick Saban, who's the greatest coach of all time, is a defensive coach. So it can't work, obviously. I mean, Bill Belichick is the greatest, you know, NFL coach of all time. He's defensive. Pete Carroll won championships in the NFL and college football, and he's, you know, it's a defensive minded coach. It could work, um, you know, and they have different personalities. You know, Saban and Belichick are closer. Pete Carroll is more rah-rah, whatever. But uh, you can have a defensive background and still be successful. Um, it might be you get more opportunities if you're a, an offensive coach right now because it's a flashy thing and, and off, you know, athletic directors want to hire guys like that. But I wouldn't say you should go, you know, you got to go offense. That's the only way you're going to be successful. I, I just feel it's just, you know, each coach is different and, you hire the right people, you motivate the, the the players. A lot of this is development and motivation for these 18 to 22 year old kids. And I don't care if your backgrounds, you know, 
coaching defensive backs or offensive line, I, th- I think you can be successful. But what, what do you think, Dave? Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, I think you can do either. Um, I think it's just a, uh, I don't know if it's a blip right now that, you know, the major uh, elite dudes besides Saban are mostly offensive guys. Um, but it feels like just something that's a, you know, just variance. Um, you've got a couple of elite offensive, um, brilliant offensive minds who emerged recently, um, you know, Lincoln Riley, Urban Meyer um, in the last 20 years. Um, so it's just, you know, I think that's where it's come from. But like, I don't know. Uh, George is pretty good with Kirby Smart. He's not like some offensive guru. Um, you know, Dabo Swinney, I know he was an offensive coordinator, but well, I guess he's sort of offensive centric, but Clemson's defenses are always really good. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think it's uh, certainly I think there's uh, capability for more innovation on the offense or more impactful in- innovation on the offensive end. Um, I think you can change more things and you can do more things because you have the element of surprise um, that um, uh, I think you're you're more likely to see like kind of radical change on the offensive side. So um, innovators on that side, I think, can make a maybe a disproportionate impact. Um but no, I don't think there's anything stopping a defensive-minded head coach from having great success. Um, it's just, I, I think we have one truly elite guy doing that right now, um, but that doesn't stop anybody else from doing it. Uh, but I, I don't think there's a major advantage for offensive versus defensive-minded head coaches. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that one, uh, Perk. I guess we could start with the text message, David. Uh, this, uh, I think this is directed at you. Uh, to mm-hmm. the stupid liberal UCLA guy. I, uh, for the last goddamn time, I'm not a liberal. That's not that. <laughs> no. I think I, he agrees with you later in the in the. Yeah, yeah, but just tech. come on. Yeah, just it's it's if you want to go with it, it's like leftist. That's fine. Uh, you could be more specific. If you called me a socialist, that would be more accurate. I am not okay. a liberal. Yeah. All right. But he says to the stupid liberal UCLA guy, hypothetically, if you got a five star football recruit. And he's down to his final two, and it's between USC and Alabama or USC and Ohio State. Why would he pick USC over one of those two? He wouldn't. He would pick Clemson. Uh, and Al- I'll answer your damn question. Because he's there. Because USC is located in Los Angeles, which is home to like 10 million people, many of whom are very good at football. So, yes, he will choose USC over those two if they're even close to equal. If USC is even close to pretty good. Right now, USC is suffering through... Clay Helton, who's bad. And it's so obviously bad to every recruit that they're like, get me the hell out of here. And USC still regularly recruits at a top 10 level. No, it is not obvious that every five-star recruit is going to pick Bama over USC or Ohio State over USC. That's not the state of the world. And it hasn't been, except for right now, because USC hasn't been good. That's it. That's why. All right. Well, he goes on to say he will pick Clemson, Alabama, OSU over USC nine times out of 10. Because he knows he's going to the playoff and USC isn't. No, no, no. Demonstrably false. The reason this is happening is not because Clemson and Bama and OSU are good. It's because USC is not. That's why. If USC was a little bit good, if they were winning the Pac-12 every year and they were going to the playoff as they should every other every four years or whatever, they would have absolutely no issues. Even still, even as it is, they're not really having major issues. They had one bad recruiting cycle. Because everyone thought Clay Helton was going to be fired. Everyone thought he was, and he wasn't. 
that's why they had one miserable cycle. Aside from that, they're recruiting at, I don't know, slightly below average USC. Is that how you would call it? I would say, yeah. Um, but he goes on to say, if you expand the playoffs, so each Power 5 champion is guaranteed to go, maybe the chances of keeping the five-star West Coast guys home increase to a 50% chance instead of 10% chance. Then he says, George Bush did 9-11 and go Utes. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> no. The- I, uh, so the, the, the five-star West Coast guys increasing to a 50% chance is not going to be impacted by whether or not the playoffs are guaranteeing that Oregon gets to go to the to the playoff, right? Or whether Washington is going to the playoff. That's not going to help USC. You know it's going to help USC? Being good enough to make the playoff. Being good enough to make a 14 playoff with regularity. Not just like, um, you know, they, they don't need to be a dominant Bama. They don't need to be 12-0 and 0 every year. They just need to be good enough that they're regularly making it, which is what historically USC has been. They just need to play like, they just need to be USC again. That's all. Be really, really good every four years and be pretty good the other three. That's it. That's all you have yeah. to do. And that'll increase that five-star rate way past 50%. But you actually have to be good. You can't just have a guaranteed spot that's probably not going to USC in this current state of the world. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that one, uh, our Ute fan. Uh, do you want to do the next one? Yes. All right, this is from uh, Mark in Vancouver. Playoffs? Uh, Hello, champions. Let's chat about David's favorite subject, expanding the college football playoff. His legitimate argument against expanding it is that Pac-12 teams are currently not good enough to be competitive in the CFP. How do they get better? By better coaching and recruiting. Here's my theory on why expanding the CFP will ultimately help improve those areas and allow the Pac-12 to compete for national championships. For the sake of argument, the CFP has expanded to eight teams and has no automatic bids. Um... Okay. Uh, One, an expanded playoff that includes a Pac-12 participant will net the conference a piece of the CFP payout that it wasn't getting before. This also means that the CFP usual suspects, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, receive less money from it as they have to divide the payout with more teams. Au contraire, there would be how many more games with eight teams? Yeah, there'd be more games. So I think that the shares would be... The Pac-12 would definitely get a share, but if you assume the SEC is going to get like two or three teams in every year the SEC would get a, a bigger share, but at least the Pac-12, I, you know, would get something out of it. Like right now. They no, don't. no, 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 no. Now you're going to mix all your money arguments. And I, I don't love that. Uh, isn't the whole thing, the relativity aspect that you're always complaining about and whining about that they're making less money relative to all of these other competitors. How would a situation uh, where expansion gets you one team in and gets the SEC suddenly three teams in, how does that increase the relative uh, how does that help the relative disparity in money? Well, because right now they have a zero share and the SEC gets like a two share. So but then we're getting they, into the absolute differences. So what does the SEC well, get per team in the, uh, say they, their usual one team in, what are they getting? What's their payout? I don't know what the payouts are, but they're, okay. the Pac-12 is the far behind between, the SEC no matter what. They're probably behind the Big Ten. But if the Big Ten only gets one team in and the Pac-12 gets one team in, that's relative same. That's the same. The Big Ten's getting two teams in here. Okay, then. well, then the ACC just gets Clemson and the Big 12 just gets Oklahoma. They're on the even playing field with three, with two of the, with half of their competition. Okay, so, oh, but hang on. So now we're saying it's the arms race between the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big 12? You instead of falling behind those 
They're not falling behind those two. Oh, yeah, they're way behind them already. They're already way behind The current state of play, I'm talking about like actual things that matter, which is on the field. The current state of play is that the Pac-12 is better than the ACC and is right there, actually, with Big 12-ish and Big 10. Um, But no one thinks that, but like you and and like, you know, a few of our listeners, like. Lots of people think Clemson and Oklahoma prove that wrong. Like just having one team that's making it makes those conferences better. That just makes it that just it it just I mean, I'm not even trying to get into the whole argument. It just makes it so much more obvious that the problem isn't the Pac-12. The problem is USC. Like that is what it is, because if if what you're saying then is that if USC was just USC, the Pac-12 would have no problem because they'd be right there with ACC and Big 12. Or, or is that more or less what you're telling me? It would at least uh, put them on par with those conferences, yeah. Right, but and right the, now they're not. What you're saying with this expansion of the CFP to eight teams versus four, when it wouldn't really help with the relative disparity likely with the SEC or the Big 10, it would help with the relative money disparity with the ACC and the Big 12, which would be fixed, the actual on-field results that actually matter and not just the money accumulation – if you just had USC be good, right? Yeah, or, or so, Oregon or whoever. I mean, somebody. It's what you're saying is you don't need to expand the CFP if USC would just get its shit together. I still think you need to expand, but you know that's me. And good thing that's going to happen, so we don't have to worry about all this. But yeah, <laughs> great, <laughs> wonderful talk. All right. Uh, currently, there's no difference in the amount earned if a team makes the CFP or wins the game, wins a game, the championship. Alabama, who won the championship, got the same amount as Clemson, who lost in the semis last year. Two schools in the conference can use this money to help incentivize good coaches and assistants to come to the Pac-12 or keep good coaches' assistants from leaving for the other conferences that pay out more. Willie Taggart, Mel Tucker, Mike Leach. It's a drop in the bucket, um, and I don't think that would have actually that meaningful of an impact. It's going to be the TV deal um, that actually gives a boatload of money. Um, And as we just discussed, it's the relative differences, especially when you get into competition for coaches. Um, If the SEC is still getting three payouts versus one for the Pac-12, that's not going to help retain coaches who might want to go to the SEC. If the Big Ten's getting two or three payouts of its own um, in certain years, that's not going to help the relative situation for the Pac-12. The thing that would help the relative situation in the Pac-12 is having three teams good enough to make the CFP, which is getting back to the same argument I've been making the whole time, which is it isn't the structure of the playoff that's the problem. It's having good enough teams to make the playoff. Um, that's not going to be helped by the relative payouts. Like There's still going to be that difference. So even if the money was enough in and of itself to get good coaches and assistants, which it really isn't, it's more about the TV deal, um, it's going to be the relative money that actually gives you a chance in competition for those coaches. Um, three with better coaches the teams will recruit better and turn the tide of recruiting trends by keeping local talent on the west coast so we're building on something that i think is faulty logic the better coaches you're going to if if it comes down to the money of it you need a good tv deal and if it's truly comes down to the difference in in cfp payouts which it wouldn't but if it came down to that you need good enough teams to make enough of those payouts to keep up with the Joneses, right? You've got to keep up with the teams that are competing for your coaches. Um, this situation isn't helped by only having one bid out of eight. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like I do think the recruiting aspect, it's not going to solve it by having a, a seat at the table, but I believe there are players that wouldn't consider even a good USC if they weren't 
get you know getting into the playoff. And we don't know. Like, is a good USC going to make it in? Um, yes, yes, they will. Yes, yes, yes. We we fundamentally do know that every Pac-12 team that has been good enough has made it. We do know that. It's that none of the teams have been good enough, aside from Washington in 2016 and Oregon in 2014. We just are in 2014. We just know that um, USC. If they were good enough, meaning they went 11 and one with a truly elite season, they're getting in. They just are 100 percent going to happen. It's that they haven't been that at any point. We know this. We know this based off of who makes it and who doesn't every year. It's a it's this this false thing that we do where we're like, oh, would an undefeated Pac-12 team make it? Friggin' Utah was going to make it if they had just or very they were going to be in that huge con- contest between them and whoever it was, Oklahoma, who was one, uh, who, whoever it was, if they had simply won the Pac-12 title game. They didn't. Yeah. And that's, if Utah can be in that position, USC, with that brand, with their non-conference schedule every year, yes, they will make it if they're good enough. They just haven't been. Um, so uh, my point here is, if you want to claim that there's going to be an uptick in recruiting because one team makes the college football playoff or that maybe it stems the tide of um, the recruiting loss from the West Coast, maybe, maybe, like maybe it has some infinitesimal impact on certain recruits, but they're still going to see um, three SEC teams in there. They're still going to see two Big Ten teams in there. They're still going to see all of that happening. Will Oregon making the college football playoff have a huge impact on California recruits? Because that's the real question we're asking. Will that actually have a huge impact on whether or not USC, UCLA, Stanford start retaining their share of in-state recruits again? Because that's the issue. Or that Arizona and Arizona State start locking down Phoenix in a way that they haven't ever. Because those are the two major issues that we're talking about. Not... um, you know, whether Oregon's recruiting well, because Oregon's recruiting well, they're fine. It's the other, it's the schools that are not, I mean, USC, obviously year in and year out, they have the talent to make the playoff. They just don't have the coach. Um, but does it pain you to say that when you, you know, when you have to go on these rants about how Clay Helton is, uh, you know, it does. I I do that mostly for fun. Um, but but it's just a, a, such an obvious problem. But it's not just USC. I mean, it, it, it's also UCLA. And UCLA, maybe it, it doesn't have that high-end potential that USC does, where USC can and truly should be building dynasties with regularity. Um, but UCLA, with that talent base and that history, like before 1998, uh, it's been, been a rough been a rough 23 years, but... Um, they should absolutely be in competition for the CFP, like, I don't know, every eight years, something like that. They should be a conference contender at least once every four years. Um, and they're screwing it up badly, and they have been for 20, 20 years, basically. Um, but these are the problems, and they're not solved by just simply allowing more teams in. Because Washington or Oregon making it doesn't change the situation for the conference as a whole. Like, it doesn't change this recruiting problem. That doesn't make, like, L.A. kids who are looking at, okay, well, Washington made it this year. Um, I'm going to go to Washington instead of Clemson. Maybe, to an extent, but not the same way it would be if UCLA or USC made it. Um, And that's only solved by actually being better at football. Yeah. 
All right. All what right. else has he got? Four. If teams like Oregon, USC, and UCLA are in the same mix for the recruits as the usual suspects, then it's much more feasible that they can compete with them on the field in the CFP and generate success. Again, it's built on this kind of um, false premise to me, which is that um, the money from the CFP will actually have a meaningful impact on retaining coaches when you factor in the relativity. Um, but even if you grant that there will be some uptick in the recruits, um, even if so, this is this is, gets down to a demographics issue too, which is that even if the Pac-12 retains basically everyone within the footprint that's any good, um, they're still going to probably be at a relative talent disadvantage as a collective to um, the SEC. Just generally, uh, there's more uh, talent hotbeds in the South than there are in the entire West footprint. Um, that's why, like USC and Oregon, I think. Um, probably have the most potential right now um, to actually make a dynastic surge here because when they are peaking, uh, they truly can recruit nationally. I mean, even UCLA sort of can um, when they truly are peaking, but that hasn't happened in 30 years. Um, But when USC and Oregon are peaking, they, I mean, Oregon just generally recruits nationally, but USC really can too. Um, And that's what you need to do. You need to not only lock down California if you're USC, you also need to recruit the South and you need to recruit Texas and get some really legit dudes out of those areas. And if you can do that, that's when it starts going gangbusters. But it's not just about retaining the West. The fact that they haven't retained the West is why they're very bad right now. Um, in addition to having Clay Helton and Chip Kelly in, in important spots. Yeah. Um, it's it's the, the thing to get them elite is to actually expand the footprint a little bit. All right. And then, and then, obviously, this doesn't factor in outlier factors like TV deals, officiating quality, scheduling disadvantages, or school administrators who hang on to their mediocre coaches for inexplicable reasons. Too long didn't read. A Pac-12 team in an expanded CFP will net the conference more money to keep higher good coaches that will recruit better and compete with the current CFP usual suspects. At the end of the day, more money will only help. Bonus question. If each of the Pac-12 coaches were a fast food restaurant, what would they be? Oh, Stay geez. average. Go Cougs. You can't go that long and have Dave rant on every one of your points and then ask us a, a 12-stepper at the end for bonus. 12-steppers are tough, man. And fast food restaurants, I'm not even sure I can name 12. Yeah. Uh, so we'll save that for another day. Um, if Kelly's Del Taco. Del Taco? Yeah. Uh, what would Clay Helton be? Clay mm. Helton is... Um, Maybe like rallies, like it's not the most popular. It's just kind of, you know, who would be in and out something that's got a lot of hype, but isn't actually as good as the hype. Oh, I wouldn't buy that. I like in and out. Um, Cristobal. Cristobal. I'd buy that. I, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's good. I don't know. The habit because he's actually better. Uh, I like the habit a lot. Yeah. There's one at Hermosa now. I go for sure. Uh, habit's good stuff. Um, all right, let's move on. I know we kind of did it. We did like for a quarter of the conference. We should buy a casino is the subject. Uh, this is from Dave. Uh, move the Pac-12 headquarters, all offices, events, everything to Vegas. Eight million a year for a rent alone in San Francisco will go a long way. In Vegas. I know I'm crazy, but why not? I'm just throwing ideas out there, out here. Go to bed. 
We could easily double Stanford's fan base with all the sports fans flocking there. The Big Ten ain't got no casino. First floor, casino. Second floor, student-athlete center with everything the kids could want for their Vegas tournaments. Three, third floor offices. Everything above that, uh, maybe to the top, a hotel. Have you seen the annual budget uh, or Wilner's roast of it? Tens of millions renting out event space, rent, California taxes. You can straight up buy some of the resort casinos at the end of the strip with a year or two of these expenses. Um, he shows like some uh, a link to uh, casino prices. We've been playing catch up the last few years. Time to jump ahead. The SEC doesn't have a casino. I love it. I think it's great. Or you um, could take like that eight million and like put it on black. Think you know? about this, Ryan. Think about this. I just mm-hmm. something just occurred to me. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Pac-12 Media Days in Vegas. Holy shit balls! Like we're in. Yeah. We would do the show from there. Oh, sure. my God. Oh, my God, we would. Uh, yeah. That'd be great. I might die because the Pac-12 moves its HQ to Vegas. <laughs> you almost died in Montana. Like, well, what's going to happen to you in Vegas? Yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not going to be great. Not going to be great. Okay, I love the idea. I co-signed, Dave. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what they're able to do. Yep. All right, this is from Peter in Vancouver. Recruiting, a question for Dave. Uh, USC has a strong national brand and recent history of success on the field and in putting players into the NFL. Oregon also has national recognition and a recent history of success. Washington is the most recent Pac-12 school to make the playoffs and has recently been the leader in the Pac-12 at getting players into the NFL. What would be a pitch to a top 50 recruit to get them to go to UCLA rather than than those other Pac-12 schools? Or how do you convince them to go to UCLA rather than to national powers like Alabama, Ohio State, or Clemson? Um, well, it's mainly the um, proximity thing again. US, USC and UCLA both have that advantage. Um, the thing with USC is when they're really, really good, uh, they will beat out UCLA for recruits that they're both competing against for, I don't know, nine times out of ten? What would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, it's a huge factor. Yeah. When USC is really, really good. When USC is just kind of good, it's not quite 50-50, but it's in more of like a 60-40 range. Like when they're in this kind of long, crappy history that they've been in for like 10 years. Like when Mora was doing pretty well at UCLA and USC had, who was it, Sark, Kiffin? It was end of Kiffin, Sark, then yeah. got into the Clay Helton stuff. Uh, I would say it was more like 60-40. Like, USC probably still won more of them, but it was an even-ish battle. Um, It was basically the Sarah kids that um, UCLA spent too much time on and didn't have a chance at. But they would win their fair share. It wasn't – I don't think it was a blowout. Um, So – and UCLA, and and this is just – again, it's the proximity thing. Competing against Washington, UCLA – Again, when they're not coached by Chip Kelly to like three straight losing seasons. I mean, if we're doing pure recent history right here, that's, you know, obviously not good. But say new coach X comes in with a lot of energy, they're going to win a lot of battles with Washington uh, for California kids. It's just that's just going to happen. And uh, it's history. It's not um, it's nothing more than history. Uh, UCLA just does. Uh, Oregon, I'm interested to see what happens if UCLA actually gets it together and hires somebody eventually who's, um, you know, got a real energy and knack for recruiting again. Um, will Oregon 
be able to maintain its market share of California recruits um, relative to UCLA? Like, are they going to win a lot of battles with UCLA? Um, not to mention USC. Uh, that'll be interesting to me. Um, but no, it's, it mainly comes down to proximity, location. Um, those things are advantages for UCLA. Um, and they always have been. And location and proximity aren't changing. Yeah, no, I think um, all good points. I would say don't confuse, like, putting the most guys in the NFL with recruiting the best. A lot of that's player development. I mean, you don't see Utah having um, as many guys that are coming in as four and five star players, but they're still putting a lot of guys in the NFL. Um, so I think a lot of it has to do with being able to develop those players. And it's not every, you know, you're not pitching the same thing to every recruit like at USC. Yeah. Pretty much they bring in those four and five star guys. And then usually those guys get drafted there's not as many, you know, three-star dudes that get developed and end up uh, going on to success. They kind of use that as, hey, you're a top recruit. We put top recruits in the NFL. Um, you can use other recruiting tactics and stuff too. But, that you know, UCLA and USC have an advantage as being in a hotbed uh, of talent. But you have to sell. Every school is going to sell something a little bit different. There's some recent success. There's the history. There's what, the, you know, the current coaching staff is able to do. And it doesn't, you know, all top 50 recruits aren't built the same. There's some kids that could grow up a fan of a certain school or they like whatever. I mean, they like a certain offense or a defense or whatever. I mean, you just, it, you have to have a wide net and then realize like, yeah, that kid's not going to come. This one could. Here's local. We're going to prioritize him. Can we keep him home? We can go out of state. Oh, this guy really wants to be on the West Coast. Uh, can we bring him out there? But it's it's different. I mean, it's, it's, there's no bucket of here's what top 50 recruit recruits wants. You know, they're all different. They're all individual personalities and you could say one thing wrong and, and you know, you, you forget his mom's name or whatever, and he doesn't call you back. So there's a lot of nuances that go into this stuff, but I think you want to give yourself, you know, the best chance and, and utilize what the benefits are of, of your universities. You're just like the commissioner talked about the strengths and weaknesses of the PAC 12. You have to know, what the strengths and weaknesses of, of the individual schools are, the schools you're representing. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Woo. Uh, we got one last one, and this is from Hithliday. The subject is Matthew 727. Are Let you me familiar? read it to you. You, want to feel, you got the Bible verse out? Okay. I've got the Bible verse. <clears throat> this is, uh, it finishes the parable of the wise and the foolish builders and is the closing verse of the Sermon on the Mount. The rain came down, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Hmm. Okay. Uh, is there a meaning behind it? Not... I guess we'll learn. Yeah. Okay. So baked into a lot of the commentary about expectations for a team, their coaching, their NFL placements, and their recruiting in any given cycle is how they do against their baseline recruiting level. But I think for some schools, that baseline has changed recently. And as David discussed in his perform or fire the bums tirade against playoff expansion, uh, expectations for those programs may have shifted. Uh, this, did I mention this from Hitlerday? I don't remember. This is Hitlerday. Uh, below are charts for how each Pac-12 team ranked nationally in the 24-7 composite for every year since 2005 when they started. As you know, this is an uh, auditory medium, not a visual one. And uh, is that right? Not auditory medium. Would, would you say that? Not, what would you say? 
not a visual medium. Uh, sure. Would that yeah, work? Yeah, I'm going on that... for you. That's fine. Okay. Yeah, it works right. for me. It's a, he's got a, a cool looking chart, a bunch of cool looking charts actually, but we, I know you guys can't see that. We'll try to describe uh, what's going on here. He said, I broke them into three tiers based on their average over those 17 years for readability. I have a few observations that I'd like you boys to take on because I think there's a lot of subjective interpretation here and COVID may have messed with things. So he has a chart for the top four teams, which is USC, Oregon, UCLA, and Stanford. USC's kind of got a gold thing all the way across the top and then a huge dip in 2020 and then right back up again. Um, Stanford's pretty up and down. UCLA, pretty up and down. And Oregon's more like a solid second place with some peaks and some valleys. Is that a fair way to describe that? Yeah. Yeah, well, so it's tough because you've got to judge these things on coaching tenures. Um, so it, I, I think this is looking at it at a program level. It's basically from 2005 to 2021. Um, Oregon, prior to, what is this, 2016, had never approached UCLA's peaks. Uh, UCLA's peaks were always above that. But Cristobal um, and what he's done since, or, you know, basically since the Taggart start of the Taggart era, what he, but what Cristobal has done, especially the last three years, has raised that level considerably. Um, there's a big difference between being an average-ish 20 recruiting program and being an average-ish, what is this, eighth, seventh or eighth, mm-hmm. um, which is what they are right now. That's a huge difference um, in terms of the quality of talent you're getting. Um, and in UCLA's case, they went from being I would say just eyeballing this looks like from, what is this, 2008 to 2018, an average-ish 15th or so recruiting yeah. power to right now more like an average 30th. That's yeah. a huge dip, huge dip, and has meaningful ramifications for what you're doing on the field in that fourth year of recruiting at a top 30 level. Well, actually, the last three years has been top 35. Um, so... I, I think it's it's kind of mis it's not misleading. It's just it's it's looking at it at a program health perspective um, level that I don't think is particularly useful because it really does boil down to the coaches. I mean, it's easy to pick out where the coaching things were going on here. Yeah, Rick Neuheisel recruited really well. So you see, two thousand eight, two thousand ten, before the bottom completely fell out, they recruited at a top fifteen level. Jim Mora recruited really well. So you can see from 2012 to even 2017, when the bottom had fallen out, they were recruiting at a top 15 level. Chip Kelly recruits like shit. So his recruiting is at a top 30 level. Carl Durrell didn't recruit very well. That's why his recruiting like completely knows that 2007. Um, it's just, this comes down to the vagaries of, of coaching, I think for at least for UCLA. But I think, um, even USC, I think you can make an argument. I mean, I don't think they've ever had a dip like that. No. It's, and it's, it's, it's a two-year dip. It's not just a one-year dip. That 2019 class wasn't great No, um, for USC. That, yeah, they were like out of the top 10 once in one year, and then they were out of the top 20, and then out of the top 60. So, yeah, back-to-back year. So that's a huge dip for, for SC. But his middle four teams, uh, Washington, Arizona State, Cal, and Utah, uh, with, I believe Washington, like that's the order you would say like five, six, seven, eight. 
it's funny. You look at Cal, they were a, a top 10 uh, in 2005, like Tedford time, you know, Aaron Rodgers yeah. and Marshawn Lynch and all those guys, right? I think that was the, the time frame. Uh, and then they've kind of fallen off since then. You know, Washington had some pretty big peaks and valleys. But, you know, since 2010, been, you know, top 30 or whatever most of the, you know, most of the time. ASU's come on a little more recently. Utah's kind of been somewhat consistent, but they're in the, like, between, you know, high 30s and, and high 40s most of the time. They're not really breaking in and getting top 25 classes typically. And, uh, yeah, and then the bottom four teams, Arizona, Colorado, Oregon State, and uh, Wazoo. And this definitely looks like a, they've all started higher. They were all, like, in the top 45, and now they're all, like, below the top 55. So it's been sort of like a downward trend for all of them uh, with uh, OSU really at the, the lowest point for 20, uh, 20. I believe that's OSU. Yeah. Over Washington state 2021, but they're all, all four of these programs are on a downtrend uh, from this, you know, the past year. So uh, those are the bottom four teams. Yeah. The, the problem also, and this is no fault of Hitler days. It's uh, the data is imperfect. Um, 247 doesn't really like the database before what 2009, I would say, isn't super robust. Um, like, I know one of UCLA's classes is like completely screwed up in there. Um, one of their historical classes, it's either 2006, 2007. Um, but I'm sure the same is true for a lot of schools. Um, the evaluations were not as like national at that point. Um, so you could see. There could be some asymmetries in how these guys were evaluated. More teams with more, I don't know, was it more West Coast-centric in terms of the current things making up the composite ratings for that period of time? I don't know. Um, so it's just tough. It's a, it's a tough thing to draw too many conclusions from. I, I think the last 10 years maybe give you a stronger um, data set. Um, and looking at that, I mean, you still see a noticeable drop-off for Arizona. Um, Colorado seems very up and down. Um, Oregon State just seems like they're doing Oregon State things. Um, and Wazoo, you know, I, I would just say it's normal up and down stuff. Um, yeah. I, I, so I, I don't draw too many huge conclusions from that. Well, here's Hitlerday's conclusion. So we kind of sure. tried, tried to describe those for you. Uh, but one, he says, Oregon and Utah look like they've bent the curve upwards. But I don't see any other school that qualifies. Would you agree with that, David? Um, I mean, you taught a pretty big dip in like 2014, but. I don't you know. know. I'd be, I'd be interested to look at kind of um, averages, but yeah, if you uh, talk, yeah, Utah, I think is fine. I think Utah's more was maybe just getting into the PAC 12. Obviously they had that big dip, but um you know, they, they started to see more consistent stuff in that 2011 range. Um, yeah. Right. That's what I'm kind of seeing here with one noticeable drop down. Um, yeah. But I think they have bent it upwards. Uh, Oregon, I would say it's been a crystal ball um, oriented uptick. Um, I don't know that this would have to stretch further back. And again, the data is imperfect before 2008, but they've been a pretty damn good recruiting power basically since midway through the Chip Kelly era. So they bent it upwards, but since 2010, not it's since. It's been, yeah, um, that's fair. And then 
Yeah, but I, I, I think Oregon, yes. I think Utah, um, yes, also, but on the same time frame, like the last decade. He also says, number two, he says, Washington and Arizona State don't look like they've bent the curve to me. Washington is just chugging along at around number 20 every year with a couple of isolated valleys. And ASU has a couple of peaks followed by fall-offs. So looking at Washington and ASU, they're the two, they're the five and six teams from this. Um, yeah, they do. They both have some, some valleys. Like there's a big one for Washington, uh, 2009. Uh, that was, oh, that was the, was that the 0 and 12? That was the winless year. Yeah, it was yeah. right after the winless year. Yeah, um, well, yeah I mean, I think I, I think Washington is, uh, I, I think that's their level. But again, I think you need to be cognizant of the coaches themselves. Um, Stark was a very good recruiter, and Chris Peterson had Washington performing at a level they haven't seen since, I don't know, at least since Neuheisel was doing pretty well there, but probably since Don James um, consistently. Yeah. Um, so I... Sark recruited well, so he. You it's know, just he... tough because we're we're trying to make program um, commentary here based off of something that I think is very very coach hire dependent. Um, and as a as a UCLA's fan, I'm very sensitive to this idea because UCLA, um, I would argue, most of their issues are because of bad or underperforming coaches um, that drastically underperform relative to um you know what like i don't know average coach does at ucla so it's just tough because i think washington you can make a similar argument it's funny because you got the 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 tyrone willingham whatever uh dip 2009 0 and 12 the higher sark they're instantly in the top 20 uh in the next year 2010 so they're in the top 25 for what the next four cycles? Yeah, um, that's pretty impressive. Uh, you know, that's that's a that's a coach, right? You just get a good recruiting coach in there, boom, and he's uh, you go from the number seventy-five class to top twenty-five for the next four years. Yeah, and I would say ASU it definitely hasn't bent any curve, um, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what Herm is capable of doing there in the next couple of years. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see that one. Then we got three UCLA, Stanford and Cal don't look like they've actually fallen off in recruiting. Instead, they look like they're recruiting at an overall average, but it's just really jagged from year to year. Could that be about academic requirements? No coaching. Yeah, it's coaching. So, okay. UCLA, I'm not sure what we're looking at here because UCLA has, massively fallen off in chip kelly era chip kelly's best year uh was worse than one two three four five six seven seven of these other seasons in here his best year um and his three worst uh were only uh the only one worse was uh rick new 2011 i don't actually looking back i don't think 2007 was that bad um i think that's a miss uh, I think it's a miss. It's an issue with the 247 database. Um, but I mean, he's recruited at a historically bad level consistently for UCLA. So that's a massive drop off. I don't think it's a program level drop off. I think it's a Chip Kelly related drop off. Uh, for Stanford, again, I mean, looking at this, uh, the best year in the last three, they were what, 19th? 
And then they have had better years than that one, two, three, four other times previous in the last, I don't know, before that five years. Um, so I think there is a, a, a drop off going on there, um, particularly given how they were performing on the field heading into it. So, uh, yeah, I think that one is noticeable drop off. And then for Cal, um, I don't know. It's tough to judge because of Tedford, but this is, again, it's a, it's a, it's a coaching related issue. It's not necessarily a program related issue. Um, Tedford had them recruiting at a super high level. Um, and he was able to get around a lot of academic requirements. Some of those guys who got into Cal actually, uh, UCLA wasn't able to get them in, um, during the Tedford era. They were more lenient with that stuff. I think that's still the case. It's just Cal's no good and they don't, um, they're, they're just not able to pull that kind of talent anymore. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then we got four. He says, I don't really see a quote, rich getting richer effect. Probably because USC is the only blue blood and you can't get higher than number one, but there sure is a quote, poor get poor effect in that third chart. All four of Arizona, Colorado, Oregon state and Wazoo have just gotten crushed over the last decade. Haven't they? Yeah. And this is the one I just, I, I obviously, obviously Arizona and Colorado had significant peaks that, um, they haven't approached since. Um, but even within that, like, there could be a lot of factors playing in here. Like a lot of these recruiting institutions were much more liberal in giving out two stars back in the day that they simply don't give out anymore. Um, and that could have a, an effect on this. I don't know what it would be, but if more of these uh, teams had three star level recruits who were like bottom tier three stars versus, I don't know, weird big 12 teams having more of the two-star guys or whatever. I don't know, but maybe there were more evaluators on the West coast at that time. There could be so many different reasons that have to do with more, um, just the way the rankings were, um, developed, uh, at, at the, you know, mid, you know, 2005, 2008, it wasn't, it's not apples to apples with how it is now. I guess basically what I'm trying to say. Um, so maybe you can draw some conclusions here. I just, the last, I don't know, 10 years for each of these look relatively even, which leads me to believe that maybe the date, the errors are more in the five years previous in terms of the data. Cause it wasn't like, I don't know, Arizona was gangbusters in that 2005, 2009 era or that Colorado was. Um, so it doesn't, this doesn't strike me as like particularly believable. All right. Well, I hit the day. There was some interesting data there, but like David said, it's not all, you know, it's not absolutes, but you know, um, I guess we'll keep watching, uh, this trend. I, yeah, I don't know about rich getting richer and, and poor getting poorer, but we'll see. Uh, I think all those programs can turn things around. I mean, we think of Arizona state as a, a hot recruiting team and they had a dip in this class, you know, from year to year, sometimes you have smaller classes. There's a lot of factors that go into it. Everyone doesn't bring in all 25 guys, especially the pac 12, you know, like a, a Stanford gets like 12 person recruiting cl classes. <laughs> so on purpose, like that's what they're trying to do. USC did one, but they didn't mean to, um, Stanford. That's just kind of the way they operate. And this, the one caveat going forward is the transfer portal has changed a lot of things too, where if Oregon state's like, we're not going to get a top 40 class we're, but we're going to bring in some top transfers. Uh, Utah's used the, the, the portal. Well, um, you know, 
the guy like Charlie Brewer comes in and lights it up like gangbusters, like he's not part of your recruiting class, but he's going to make a big difference on the field. So I think all of that comes into play too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's all we got. Anything else, Dave? I've got nothing. Absolutely right. nothing. Well, glad we got the show in. Hope everyone had a very happy tax day. Boo. Um, but yeah, and uh, we'll see going forward what it's going to be like for the new commish. And, uh, you know, I'll reach out to Pac-12, see if they want to let them come on the podcast at some time. That'd be great. Uh, That'd be awesome. Big step up from Larry Scott. Sometimes a new guy wants to come in and impress people. And they're like, hey, this is the biggest Pac-12 podcast out there. We're going to come on. So like, yes, that'd be awesome. So we'll we'll see what we can do. Dave hates guests, but that would be a good one to get. So um, I just want to throw it out in the ether. Maybe, Dave, he'll so. even, maybe he'll even like our tagline. Yeah. <laughs> he, he seemed to be on board with the sentiment. Hopefully he makes us change it, right? That's the whole he point. Yes. Not, well, hopefully he makes by, his us performance, by his performance, he makes right. us change it. Not by a decree, but by, well, now it's all over the place. So, yes. Um, we'll have to, uh, that's going to be a pain. We're going to have to change the intro and everything. Uh, but that's okay. We'd love to do that because that would mean the conference is is going in the right direction. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, thanks for the reviews. Thanks for the questions, uh, feedback, all the tweets, all that stuff. We appreciate it all. Keep sending them in. Let us know what do you want us to talk about going forward. That is David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. You've been listening to the Podcast of Champions. We thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.